welcome to the Battle Creek Tabernacle Sabbath worship service. I am Pastor Carlos. I'm here to share a few announcements with you, um, and they go as follow. So the first one is very exciting. Uh, there is a chance that next week we may be able to open the church up for regular Sabbath worship, of course, taking into account safety precautions and guidelines, but we're not sure yet. But during this week, we will be communicating that with you, whether yes or no, through uh, the website. So you can go to the website, and it will be posted there. Also, you'll probably receive an email as well. So just stay tuned for that, because next week we may be able to open. But even if we don't open next week, May 23rd, definitely on the 30th, this church, by the grace of God, will be open for church service, for worship service. Of course, taking into account the guidelines and, and the safety precautions for your safety. Also, on Tuesday, uh, we are having a food bank here at the parking lot from 1 to 3 p.m., uh, giving away boxes of food, and it's been a huge blessing to many people in the community. If you haven't heard, if you haven't heard about it or known about it, now you do. Uh, it's from 1 to 3. You can stop by, pick up a box of food either for you or your, fam or your family or a friend or a neighbor that may need some food. Um, if you are wanting, if, 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 you know, if you are planning on coming, my recommendation is that you come before 2.30 just to ensure that you have a, you know, a box of food because sometimes supply do, supplies do dwindle after 2.30 depending on how many people come. So just, just a, a heads up on that. Tuesdays from 1, this coming Tuesday from 1 to 3 p.m., we'll be having the food bank here at the parking lot. Also, we're having a united prayer session on Thursday mornings from 6 to 7 in the morning uh, via Zoom. Uh, and you also receive a weekly email with that link that you, all you have to do is click on it, and then it will take you to the meeting. Um, it has all the information in that email. Uh, or you can also call me, and we can connect you somehow. But I think also in the Zoom invite, it has also a telephone number that you can call and also join the Zoom meeting that way if you don't have a, a computer or a, uh, or a smartphone. But it is important for us to come together and to pray, especially in times like this, uh, that we know that you know, things are happening and, and you know, that Jesus is coming soon. We want to be a praying church. So if you're an early bird and you're up by 6, uh, please come and join us uh, via the, the Zoom at 6 in the morning. And just expect that email from myself this week. Also, I want to give a big thank you to all of you on behalf of the church, uh, to the church, uh, for your faithful stewardship. Um, the tithes and the offerings have been coming in. Uh, God has been so faithful and, 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 mo and moving our hearts to faith and to trust him, even in these difficult times. So thanks to all of you for, for your faithful stewardship. Just as, as a reminder, um, if, if you know of someone who may not know how to return their tithes and offerings yet, you can just go to the Tabernacle website. Then there's a tab, Online Giving. Just click on that, and you can sign up for an account and, and do it that way. Or you can mail in your tithes and offerings or bring it in yourselves. Um, our church secretary, Mickey Porter, will be here uh, from 9 in the morning to 12. That's Mondays and Wednesdays. And also want to give to God a special thanksgiving for Elsie Wilson. She turned 99 this week. We praise God for that. Uh, I called her this, uh, this week, and she was quite happy, and uh, she's doing great. Praise be to God. Uh, so, Elsie, if you're watching, we love you, and we're so grateful for God blessing your life so much. And also, lastly, want to request some prayer requests. Want to request some prayers. Uh, for uh, Sister Elizabeth Washington and Pastor Jerry Finneman, who both went through, through um, 
um, recent surgeries, but they, they are recovering well, but they could use our prayers. So once again, church family, we love you, um, and we hope that you have a great Sabbath. Enjoy the worship service, and God bless. Happy Sabbath. Church service and happy Sabbath, or church family and happy Sabbath. Our, our first song will be page 499, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. song is page 327, I'd Rather Have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses, oh, 
I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything the world affords today. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the cold He's all that my hunger ring spirit needs I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Our last song for praising will be page 532, day by day. If it sounds like these songs are, are a little low today, it's because I, there's nobody else singing, so I get to put them where I, I can actually sing them. So it's kind of nice to, to once in a while be able to uh, sing, sing them low. So sorry about that, Mickey. So you just have to come down with the rest of us. So. <laughs> Let's sing together. Day by day. And with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure, 
gives unto each day that he deems best. Lovingly is part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me, with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me, he whose name is Counselor and Power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As your days your strength shall be in measure, this the pledge to me made. Help me then in every tribulation, so to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith's sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, e'er to take as from a father's hand. One by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. merciful and eternal God. We come before you this morning in thankfulness and gratitude for what you have done for us, what you are doing for us, and Lord, what you have still promised to do for us, your people. We thank you for your watch care over us, for keeping us, Lord, safe from harm and danger, we thank you, Lord, that you are still the one providing for all our needs. And Father, as we bow before you this morning, help us to realize, O oh Lord, what a privilege it is to come before you, to bow before you, to be able to come into your presence, O oh Lord, and to come boldly before your throne. Lord, I pray that our time together this morning will not be in vain, but that each and every one of us, O oh Lord, will receive the Sabbath rest that you intended for us, the peace, O oh Lord, that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we ask that as we leave this day, we are more energized, we are refreshed, we are renewed with your Spirit, and that as we go into a new week, O oh Lord, we go in the presence and in the might of our God and Savior. Father, I, I want to lift up before you your church body this morning. I lift up those, O oh Lord, who have been sick and are recovering. I think of Jerry Finneman, Elizabeth Washington, and those others I think of uh, Candy Buttrick, that, Lord, you will continue to be with each and every one of these individuals. Continue, Lord, to have your healing hands upon them. Comfort them, O oh Lord. I think of those who have lost loved ones, O oh Lord. 
and who are grieving. Oh, Lord, comfort those hearts, I pray. I think of those, oh, Lord, whose hearts are overwhelmed. They are breaking, oh, Lord, because of what's happening in their families, in their relationships. Lord, I pray, again, that you will be with each and every one of them, that, Lord, they will take solace in you, that their strength will be renewed because you are their God and you are faithfully watching over them. Father, I pray for the families, the individuals, oh Lord, who have been praying for their loved ones to be in a deeper, more meaningful relationship with you, oh Lord. I pray, Lord, that those prayers will be answered and that those individuals, oh Lord, you will bring about situations for which they will turn their lives over to you. Father, I pray for your church that has been sleeping and for the opportunity we now have to awake, O oh Lord, and to lift up our voices and to witness to you so that this world can know indeed that Jesus saves. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. We need you in our lives, and so we're asking, Lord, for your presence in our lives. I pray, Lord, for... Pastor Bernardo, as he's about to deliver your message to us this morning, oh Lord, touch his lips. May we see Jesus. May we hear from heaven this morning. And may your people, oh Lord, drink deeply from that well. And Lord, continue to be before us. Continue to defend us, protect us. And help us, O oh Lord, to serve you each and every day the way we should. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Sabbath, boys and girls. It's so good to see you. We're going to talk about squirrels today. Now, where do we see squirrels? We see squirrels everywhere. We see squirrels running across the street. We see squirrels on telephone poles and wires. We see squirrels um, in our yards. We see them everywhere, right? So squirrels are very common little animals. But squirrels live in trees. That's where they have their nests. That's kind of their home base. So squirrels live in trees, and they come in all sorts of colors. Now, where I grew up um, in New York State, I pretty much only saw gray squirrels and occasionally a red squirrel. But when we came here to Michigan, I was amused to see, oh, look, there's black squirrels in all sorts of different colors. So squirrels come in all different colors. They like to eat nuts, fruits, and seeds. And they all have big bushy tails, which they can wrap around themselves and keep themselves warm in the winter. Now, squirrels are very bold creatures. You may see them running headfirst down a tree. And this week, um, a little red squirrel discovered one of our bird feeders. And this, this squirrel was very persistent and very bold with coming constantly to that 
feeder. And so multiple times a day, every day this week, I've been banging on the windows. I've been open the, opening the door. Get out of there, squirrel. And it runs away, and then it scurries back time after time after time. Um, so squirrels are very bold little creatures. And if ever there's a hawk or an eagle or some sort of predator around, oftentimes you might hear a squirrel a chattering in a tree, chatter, 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 loudly, um, warning, I guess, other squirrels and other animals about that um, there's danger about. So that squirrel's squirrel very bold to warn all the other um, creatures about not worrying about its own safety. So, excuse my children. Um, so squirrels are very bold. And you know what? God wants us to be very bold as well. We can think of Bible characters who were very bold for God. You think of Noah. You think of um, building the ark and warning others about um, about the coming flood. Very bold, have to be very bold. You think of Daniel in the, in the courts of Babylon. Um, very bold for God um, in those heathen courts. You think of Joseph in Egypt. You think of the early disciples like Paul and like Peter. Very bold for Jesus. And so God wants us to have that boldness in us. I'm going to read a verse to you. In Acts 4.29, here in Acts 4, Jesus had ascended to heaven, and um, the disciples were preaching in the temple about, um, about Jesus. And Peter and John had been arrested and interrogated by the priests. And they had, been, they had let, him go, let them go, um, and they had met with the other believers, and they had a prayer session. And listen to what the disciples were praying about in Acts 4.29. Acts 4.29, now look on their threats and grant to, your, grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. And so the disciples were not concerned about their safety. They were concerned that they would still be bold for the Lord um, uh, during this time. And so they were not concerned for themselves. They were concerned that they would keep their witness bold for the Lord. And so, boys and girls, we need to pray that God will give us that boldness. <clears throat> it's very hard to be a true Christian in this world, and God wants to bless us and give us that boldness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that we will be bold for you, that we will stand and be like Daniel and be like Joseph and Paul, and that we will not worry about what others think of us, that we'll only worry that we're being faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, having gone all these weeks without, without seeing all these beautiful faces, it's just been, this is, yeah. this is really over the top. Yeah, we needed this. Amen. Well, I'm glad you're a part of it. This worship service. And praise God for this opportunity. And God be glorified. And I'm just having a marvelous time here with Pastor Bernardo and the great members of this church. Oh, what an awesome time it is. To God be the glory. 
so great to see the church out again and meeting together even though we have to social distance but this is a wonderful day a wonderful opportunity that we have to worship God and to fellowship together again may it not be long before we can once again meet and embrace one another oh communion again Seems like a repeat of this, uh, even if we don't have communion next week. Uh, we want another drive-in service. Amen. About this. Did you think it was worth doing this? Yes, worth doing. Even though you can't go in there, it's worth doing still. And love must find expression. How about you today? Do you love your Lord? Be faithful. need to express that. Oh, I loved it. You loved it? Yes. Travis, what do you think? It was nice to, it's a long eight weeks, let's put it that way. <laughs> Amen. It's good and it's made, it's made us feel like we're coming closer to Christ more than when we do the service at home. Happy Sabbath once again, church. I never thought that people beeping their horns at me could give me so much joy. Quite a blessing. Our sermon today, as you see, is called The New Normal. In the light of this COVID or SARS-CoV-2 crisis, we've all become epidemiologists and medical statisticians, and we've come up with a lot of new language one of the phrases that we hear fairly often is this one, the new normal. It's a term used to describe what the world will look like after phase one rolls through of this pandemic. And what is being implied here is that it will never be normal again. Life will never be like it was as we knew it before. According to this ideology, gone forever is hanging out with friends, having real classroom interaction with other students next to you or going to work without social distancing. So here's just a few of the possible things that describe this new normal that we get from the world. Working from home, wearing face masks, distancing, Zoom meetings. Are you Zoomed out yet? Essential and non-essential people. Watching our civil servants bent on a power grab go completely overboard in opposition to our fundamental rights. Or watching medical professionals get laid off by the thousands. Is that going to be the new normal? Or is it drones spying on you from the air and telling you what to do? Trusting science or models 
more than trusting God? Is the new normal the censoring of any material that YouTube doesn't like just because it differs from their ideologies or the WHO or the CDC? Is that the new normal? How about mandatory vaccines, quarantines, fever screenings, or hotlines for concerned citizens so that they can turn in their neighbors? Lord, have mercy if that's the new normal. But I want to bring it a little closer to us. What about in the church? Well, I would put forward to you this morning that I think we need a new normal. Business cannot be as usual. Because you see, in the past, some folks were very happy to keep one foot in the church and one foot in the world. We've been satisfied to take a pill or get a vaccine rather than change our lifestyle and boost our immune system. We seem to have decided that God's call to repent as a church is either impossible or unimportant. And the long delay continues. And our Savior waits and waits and weeps with the woes of a hurting world. We want forgiveness but don't want to allow God to change us and forgive us, and we don't want to forgive ourselves either. No, God wants to bring in a new normal. No more business as usual. That is, taking advantage of others in business six days a week and coming here on Sabbath. No more evangelism as usual. No more Battle Creek Academy as usual. No more criticism as usual. No more pastor as usual. No more lay people as usual. No more marriage as usual. No more ducking out of church because we don't think we're worthy or we just don't care enough. No more trusting to our works as usual. No more smorgasbord religion as usual. I'll take a little bit of Buddhism, give me a little bit of ceremonialism, and let's put it all together. Instead of what the Bible teaches. No more sickening pride. No more, I'll love you until you disagree with me on my favorite topic. No more cheap sermons with what we say is love without any sound doctrine. No more dry doctrinal sermons without the centrality of the cross as usual. No, God is calling the church higher to a new normal, and it's nothing short of spectacular good news. It's the kind of new normal, both in motivation and actual living, that will usher in the coming of our Savior and the kind that will make us fall in love with and abide in him in a new and living way. It's the kind of new normal that the world will take notice of. It's the kind that will be lockstep with God as he pours out the coveted latter rain upon the earth. It's the kind that brings with it primitive godliness and holy boldness. It's also the kind that will bring 
persecution as it did in the days of old. And it will be so, so worth it because it always is when we're in the center of God's will and in his presence because in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Let's pray. Father in heaven, bring to us your Holy Spirit that he might bring to us the new normal that you're calling your church to today. Give us clarity of understanding. Give us conviction of the Spirit. Give us courage to follow what you speak to our hearts today. Take the human instrument out of the way. Be heard, be seen, be believed upon, be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to John chapter 12 this morning as we review from last week and then head into John chapter 13 where Jesus talks about a new commandment, the new normal. This is part two of a series of ten called That You May Believe. The title is taken from John's own statement of purpose In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where it says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. And so the new normal... As we review here, we see chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And then we see in chapter 10, he claims himself as the good shepherd. And that his sheep hear his voice and that no one can pluck them out of his hand or the Father's hand. Then in chapter 11, the crowning miracle of Jesus as he raises Lazarus and proclaims himself as the resurrection and the life. As we said last week, now the Pharisees have two problems. Not only do they have the Messiah in their midst, which is bad for business if you're a Pharisee, but they also have exhibit A of his amazing life-saving power and that he is the Messiah, Lazarus. So they double down and try to kill them both. You remember it is said there that it is expedient that one man die than the whole nation perish. We noted that this is the philosophy of communism or socialism or a straight democracy, strict democracy. That is an organization where the majority rules and individual rights are trampled. I'm so glad that our nation was set up as a republic, not a democracy. That's new to some people, I understand. But a republic is a representative form of government where those who govern receive their cues from those that they govern, and the rights of all are protected as long as those aren't infringing upon the rights of another man. May the republic live forever. Amen. We saw in chapter 12 the broken and spilled out Mary anointing Jesus' feet with very precious and costly ointment. The only statement recorded by John of Jesus there was this. Jesus said, 
own, for she has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. It's chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. That's a very interesting statement in the light of some of the rhetoric that we are hearing today. We're hearing about wealth redistribution, about protecting the poor, which really means leveling the playing field so that all are on the same level. And the rich, however they acquired their wealth, whether it be righteous or unrighteous means, will be taken away from them, their wealth. You hear this from the mouth of politicians and from the mouth of the most wondered-after vocal religionists, that is, the Pope. That may sound in some ways very good. Oh, wow, we're taking care of the poor. But actually, it's one of the worst possible evils. How would you like to go to school for eight or ten years and then make two or three hundred dollars a month? That's what happens in communist Yugoslavia. Not to mention, think about this on the psyche of the worker. Why work hard? Why try to make a better product when everybody's at the same level anyway? Well, I've got a statement here from one of my favorite authors I want to share with you about this that may be striking or unusual to you. It goes as this, I quote, It was not the purpose of God that poverty should ever leave the world. You might have thought the person was going to say it wasn't the purpose of God that poverty should ever exist, but that's not what is said here. It's not the purpose of God that poverty should ever leave the world. How so? The rank of society were never to be equalized for the diversity of condition which characterizes our race is one of the means by which God has designed to prove and to develop character. One of my colleagues from Central California, his church was less than a mile from mine, Stephen Bohr says this, the scarcity of goods tests the faith of the poor. And the abundance of goods tests the stewardship of the rich. Going on with this quote, this is from the fourth volume of Testimonies, page 551. Many have urged with great enthusiasm that all men should have an equal share in the temporal blessings of God, but this was not the purpose of the Creator. Christ has said that we shall have the poor with us always, the poor as well as the rich or the purchase of his blood, absolutely no difference there. And among his professed followers, in most cases, the former serve him with singleness of purpose, while the latter are constantly fastening their affections on earthly treasures, and Christ is forgotten. The cares of life and the greed for riches eclipse the glory of the eternal world. And don't miss this last sentence. It would be the greatest misfortune that has ever befallen mankind if all were to be placed upon an equality in worldly possessions. Going on in chapter 12 as we continue to review, we have the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem which was accompanied by a false revival. It actually was a false revival, very short-lived 
and faded quickly. And then we have the amazing analogy that Jesus gives of the seed falling into the ground. And then unless it falls into the ground, it remains alone. But if it falls, it produces a rich harvest or much fruit. goes on to say that the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's the principle of Christian living in Christ. Then skipping to chapter 13, we saw last week Jesus now in the upper room, so now we're in the upper room discourse, that Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Peter, initially rejecting this vehemently, then says, hey, I'm all in. Wash me, all of me. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you that a servant is not greater than his master, nor he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So if you know and do them, you are blessed or happy. Verse 18 of chapter 13 says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Now I want to stop there so we can see what Jesus is saying clearly here. Because some have used this text to teach a limited atonement view of Scripture, and I don't think it's warranted here. When he says, I know who I have chosen, but, that word, you know, is a contrasting conjunction. It's as if he's saying, I've chosen all 12 of you, but one of you, the one that's eating bread with me, has already lifted up his heel against me and has fulfilled the scripture in Psalms 41 verse 9. Now, why do I see it that way? Well, you can keep your finger here. We're going to go back in this same gospel of John to chapter 6 and look at some words that are shared there that speaks to this. If you ever want to know what the shaking looks like in God's last day church, just go to John chapter 6, because that is what the shaking looked like in Jesus' day. And it was a sermon on righteousness by faith. Jesus proclaiming himself as the bread from heaven. Verse 27, chapter 6 of John, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Because God the Father has set his seal on him. God the Father's seal was on Jesus to be the Savior of the world. The Jews did not like this idea of getting this for free. Verse 28, then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Forget about this free stuff, gift. We want to work. Jesus answering said to them, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Believe, that's the work that you need to do. Actually, the flesh profits nothing, all the way over to verse 63. The flesh profits nothing. You cannot come 
to me unless the Father draws you. This is the whole context. But look at verse 70 because this is, gives me the backing to say that Jesus actually called and chose all 12 because that's what he says here. Jesus answered them, did not I choose you the 12? How many did he choose? The 12 and one of you is a devil. To John chapter 13, because you might have gotten the impression that he chose all except Judas. No, no, he chose them all, but one chose to resist and reject him. Jesus is happy are those that know the principle of humble servanthood and do it. But not all of you are happy. I've chosen you all, but one has chosen to resist me. Verse 19, now I tell you before it comes, that when it comes to pass, you may believe that I am he. And the he is added. Jesus is saying that you may believe that I am proclaiming himself as the I am of the Old Testament. Now, the disciples were not understanding this, and Peter then, as you read on, we see that he motions to John because he's still wanting to know who is the betrayer. And so he motions to John. John, interestingly enough, doesn't call himself John here. He just says the disciple that Jesus loved, that was John. He doesn't identify himself, but Peter wanting to know who is the betrayer somehow motions to John, who's leaning against Jesus. Now, I'd love to have been there, fly on the wall to see exactly how Peter did this. Ask him. You know, he must, somehow he motioned to him, ask him who it is. Well, Jesus answered, John did then ask Jesus. Jesus answered and said, it's the one to whom I will give the piece of bread when I have dipped it. And then he gave it to Judas. Well, that sounds clear enough, doesn't it? Still, none of them understood it. Whether John, whether he whispered it to John and the rest of them didn't hear it, we don't know for sure. <clears throat> but Jesus said to Judas, do what you need to do and do it quickly. Having received the piece of bread, Judas went out immediately. And then verse 30 says, and it is a very sad statement, the end of It says that it was night. It was night in the soul of Judas. The lights had gone out. Jesus tried everything possible to win him, but Judas would not allow it to happen. It's actually a fearful thing to trifle with the invitations of mercy that are showered upon us day by day by day. Jesus never stops seeking. He never stops knocking. But as we run in the other direction, sometimes the knocking gets more and more distant. On verse 31, after Judas has gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify Jesus in himself and will glorify him immediately. And then in verse 33, Jesus calls his disciples a very special term, a term of endearment. He says, little children, little children. That word technion in the Greek 
is a term of endearment. He's on his way to the cross. Think about this. His way to the cross. He's been betrayed by many in chapter 6, verse 66, 666. It's very easy to remember. It says that many followed him no more. And then one of his own 12 has betrayed him. His closest associates. And what can he think of? What only can he think of? Little children. He's thinking of them, not himself. Not his rejection, not his pain and suffering, not the awful separation that lies ahead between him and his father. Little children, greatly beloved. Those who I have loved to the uttermost, I will be with you only a little longer. You will seek me and seek to follow me, but where I am going, you cannot come. This broke the heart of Jesus. Not because he had to leave his technion, his little children, but because they were helpless and defenseless without him. They would go through a time of deep sorrow. They have not yet learned the lessons of agape love. They are not yet surrendered to it. Well, in verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And in that way, you must also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye have love one for another. Here, Jesus shares the new normal. This new commandment, commandment. Back to Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18. This isn't new, but this is new. It was definitely new. It was new in at least four ways, several ways at least. Here the agape flowing from God and then flowing through us to others had a new object. And you wouldn't see it in just a reading of this. You have to dig a little bit. The Jews had been told previously to love their neighbor. But they had completely misused that commandment. The way they did it was by defining neighbor as someone of their own class or status or rank or sex or tribe or denomination. You name it. And so they made something that was very inclusive of the whole world and broad in Jesus' mind, something that was very exclusive and narrow and bigoted and selfish. The Jews were known for this. And so here Jesus points them to a new object of this agape. The new object is one another, which includes the smaller group of them, but it doesn't discount the larger group That is, the whole world for which Christ came to be the sacrifice. Love one another. Love your neighbor. That didn't work for them, so he has to broaden it for them. Love one another. That is, everyone. 1 John, which is the only other place where John uses this term technion, uses it several times in the letters 1 John and Chapter 3, verse 7, John says, Little children, technion, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is 
is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. Jesus is calling us to a new normal. The new normal of allowing agape to be what it is. An unending display of selfless, non-discriminatory, and contrary to culture love. Even in the midst of the hatred of others. So the new normal has a new object. It's a love for all. There's also a new extent, a new motive, and a new supply of that love. They are now living in the light of that agape being revealed as never before. Also in 1 John, it says, A new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. In other words, they were standing in the blazing light of the selfless life of Christ. Before, they had seen agape, but more in shadows and types. But now they see its brilliant beauty. And it is that light, that life, that would prove to be the motive and the all-sufficient supply for their love to all men. Lastly, the results of that love would cause a new normal reaction by the world. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this love that would be a mirror image of the love of Christ to them, the world would know that there was such a thing as a true believer in Christ. Does the world know that about you and me? If this old church ceased to exist tomorrow, would anyone notice? God is calling his church to a new normal where we realize that we are nothing, that we can offer nothing to this world without him, but that he has loved us with an eternal love and calls us his little children. I believe God is still calling us to do evangelistic reaping series. But if we miss this opportunity to be God's hands and feet on a daily basis, if we miss this opportunity to live in our community, then I think we've missed part of what he's doing in this whole now. But I don't think we will miss it. I don't think we will. Isaiah 60 gives me courage and hope that we will seize this opportunity. God's church will arise and shine for her light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon her. How many of you listening out there want to be a part of that? Raise your hands. Do you want to leave this live stream different than when you came? You know, knowing doctrine and being knowledgeable is good. It's very good. It's important. But the old saying is still true. People don't care how much you know. Until what? So they know how much you care. Doctrine is not attractive unless it is adorned with this new normal love that Christ wants to bestow. 
situation in our world has given us new opportunities, especially as Seventh-day Adventists. God has given us a health message, which again is more than information. If it's just information, we've missed it. It is to be loved, revealed. And when our doctrines are adorned in that way, it will open the doors to people's hearts. Christ has poured out his infinite, unfathomable love to you and me that we should be captivated by it and compelled to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again from the dead. The world must know, the world must see, the world must experience the new normal through us. What do you say, church? Let's pray as we close. Lord, today, may you arise and shine upon your church for your light has come and the glory, your glory is risen upon her, upon us. Darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, but you've promised that you will arise over your church and your glory will be seen upon her. Oh Lord, lift up our eyes. Oh Lord, may our hearts swell with joy. Awaken and arise upon your church and may your glory be seen upon us for your sake, through your power and your unlimited supply. Amen.